Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Prop Theater Artistic Director, Olivia Lilly. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. How are you doing today? I'm good. Well, I just moved a block away from the Prop Theater. That's yeah, great. Um, that's right. The irony is that I haven't seen my apartment yet. I uh, I picked it off of a video that the realtor. Wait a minute. Also, wasn't today the one year? What well, was the one year of the Facebook post? I think. Or something. Oh yeah, Did it I was the that? one. It was the one year of the public announcement of yeah. me taking over. That's awesome. The prop. Yeah, I saw that. That's so good. Happy one year. Thank you. Has it been a good year? Uh yeah, it's been a very um challenging and informing and transformative year. Nice. Well, also like. A well, like it seems like you've done so much, <laughs> and the like it feels like you've had. So, how do you feel about? Do you feel like you've had a very reactionary, like a reactive and collaborative experience with the existing framework? Yeah, I think that uh, it's like that uh, that MTV's diary. Like you think you know, but you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Like I used to run a tinier company, the Runaways Lab Theater. Um, and then uh, a smaller, another, an even smaller project, Pop Magic, and those are not on the scale of Prop because Prop has its own venue. It's got two theaters. It had grant money, um, like for the season, and uh, like there's just like a mass of of things to deal with on a daily basis that all affect each other. And mm-hmm. I quickly learned what battles to fight and what to sort of save for later. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really excited with, uh, I have a new managing director, this uh, kid, Peter Bucci, uh, who uh, a- appeared out of nowhere <laughs> uh, right at the right time, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who is really helping me kind of figure out what I need in a, like a, in a business partner. I, well, I actually just, that I know him from the, <laughs> yeah, he did, he runs Springboard Theater. He did, yeah, or, at DePaul. Yeah, and so I they did a 24-hour play festival, and <laughs> I was like, that sounds like fun, so then I did it. You did it at yeah. DePaul, like with the students? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I don't know what, no, I don't no, even remember Daniel, how I found da- out about it. You got, you no, were, there were definitely students there, like don't, there, da- it was, Daniel, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I remember the context, you were reached out to among some other like Dan Grambau, oh, Joaquin, yeah. Joaquin Lewis to participate. For some reason I was like, it's not Lewis, it's Phoenix. Joaquin yeah. Phoenix. I don't yeah. know why that. <laughs> and then and everybody bailed last minute except for you. <laughs> so what <laughs> would have right. been what would have been like a vanguard of professional performers coming in to supplement the lack of male talent at the DeBall twenty four hour play festival it was just daniel johansson rolling in (laughs) (laughs) this just this story doesn't surprise me because peter is a really uh i'd have to say like in one word he's like entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. like he goes he like hears things that are like kind other people would run away from and he's like great let's go yeah let's do it i always (laughs) i like as a as a person that's into astrology i'm always uh love to keep my catalog of what people's signs are going so it was really cool who a person who i i don't like i think we're facebook friends but like i don't really see peter very much but then to learn that he was a pisces i was like okay good that's in my, that's in the rolodex now like yeah. i know that apparently there's a g- game that i've been playing on facebook yeah. which is olivia finds the pisces well we were talking about it before we started recording and i think this is a really potential good segue into what we wanted to talk with you about too but like millennial spirituality is very interesting and I know that we've talked a bit about it with Olivia, like 
before we started recording and just in life. Yeah. Just like more people are pulling out tarot cards and whenever yeah. they don't know what to do. Yep. Yeah. What, yep. what, what does it say? Mm-hmm. I also this is the first like full year where I've started to notice people's actual signs. Yeah. yeah. So now it's like, oh, this person is this. Oh. Right. <laughs> oh, like when people say like, I just had the best birthday yesterday, and you're like Aquarius. Int- yes. How interesting. Yeah. That's, oh. <laughs> ah. Exactly. <laughs> Fascinating. Hmm. Well, I've always um, Ooh. I'm terrible at numbers, but I'm. I've always kind of paid attention to people's signs for some reason since I was like 14. Can we pause for a second? Great. Maureen took a minute to um <laughs> to make uh, Olivia's microphone more comfortable. And then Olivia was like, no, I want it that close. I, I have a Leo rising and I needed to share that moment because it was perfect. And also so deeply relatable because I am also a Leo rising. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I... So we have a church job. Like, we sing in a choir. Um, and so we always miss Church of the New Play. And I'm Aww. always really sad because I love it conceptually. Like, I lo- I always love um, things that are, like, plays and – not plays, obviously. But I, what I mean um, is, on like, words. a ta- – Yeah, yeah, yeah. A take on kind <laughs> of routine and tradition. And so whenever when I heard first learned about Church of the New Play was because was Church the Church of the New Play start with you at Prop Theater or was it going before? No, that? it was a yeah. concept that Jenny Magnus, Bo O'Reilly, and Stefan Brun and probably other uh, countless uh, like Chicago artists came mm-hmm. up with, and they would have it very much like when they wanted to have it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Ooh, we need to have that all the time." Right. And so then I kind of just was like, "Well, we're gonna have it every Sunday." Um, and the first year of doing that, uh, the way I was doing it, I would do like a full, like, like basically spread of like the synopsis of the play and the, um, headshot. And then like, I would make these, these Facebook, uh, like events two weeks out. And I was, I was continually doing that. So this time I've shortened it to like the website has every, like the writer's name and the date. And I have actually booked it like completely through till June. So every single Sunday has yeah. something now. I think also now it's like it gives uh, writers get to hear about something over the course of um, like it existing. So mm-hmm. then I started getting like tons and tons of submissions like about a month ago. And then I was like, OK, all right. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that sounds good. And it's interesting. So like, <laughs> it kind of exists as like I don't read the plays beforehand. I read the synopsis. So I base my selection on the story that this writer is trying to tell, um, not on any any script. So uh, it's uh, I think that's good, though, because it allows for a huge variety of people. All they need to, to walk in with is a compelling story. Right. Um, so we have, I think, like a huge age range of people. Um, I know this one University of Chicago's, like, I think recent grad sent us something and I read it, like I read the synopsis and I was like, this is great. Yeah. You get a slot. And she was so surprised. She was like, what? Yeah. Really? Like, you don't need me to do it. What do I need to do? What's the, and I was like, no, like you just bring the actors, show up, do it. You know, yeah. um, I also like the other rule that I have uh, on this thing is that the playwrights have to cast it themselves because I don't want this turning into a huge production because I feel like a lot of people that I've observed producing over the last year make a mountain out of a molehill. They make it like way, way more complicated than it needs to be. 
So I'm trying to like give these people rules so that they follow them. Mm -hmm. And the rule is that they can get into the space earlier that day if they want. The reading's at 11, so basically 8 a.m. is probably the earliest they're going to want to get in the space. Yeah. But it's a mo- it's going to be a lot easier now that I live down the street. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, not to get entirely too meta, but that is deeply relatable to me in that that's very much the mindset that we go into with the podcast, where it's at a certain point, you know that you're wanting to quantity produce, you know? You know that you're just like, okay, I want to just do this as much as possible to just put the reps in not that that's the way that you probably entirely think about it but but to the to a certain point this kind of degree of thinking about uh okay i need two rules or three rules things that are simple that are but that also kind of encompass your overarching mission you know and being able to say okay i'm i'm not going to make that mountain but i do know the things that need to be in order to be a molehill at right. all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is that that kind of fine tuning of your process as far as like knowing what the overarching mission is? Like, was that like, how did that look like look for you? Well, I believe that Church of the New Play is like a, is a slot that's three hours that mm-hmm. is free, that is for the artists and that they're being welcomed into our space. And that's actually quite difficult to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, usually people have to pay for space. Right. Um, and it, and it, and they have control over the entire experience. Like I'm not coming in there and telling them how they need to do anything other than keep it casual. Um, but there's no ceremony. There's no like extra added stuff. We have free coffee because some of the prop people work at coffee shops and they just bring it to, so we can make it. There so is we... such a beautiful, um, relationship between, baristas and art makers it's oh yeah i think the other thing is um i'm trying to like like so many reading series have so much pop and circumstance behind Mm -hmm. them like like say a company like jackalope has like a couple readings a year and it's like ooh, very like prestigious Mm -hmm. um i think that's like really weird because reading should be like the bare minimum reading should be like what we give to like to all the playwrights that have really interesting ideas. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot of people in Chicago that deserve those slots. So, and it is a really interesting parallel between people that only show up for holidays. I was just going to say, I, I really appreciate the parallel yeah. of church. Cause like as people who go to a church every Sunday, like some weeks it's pretty freaking bare bones. <laughs> like some weeks it's, it's the old lady who, reads the sermon like this and then puts her head into the microphone and you can't really hear mm-hmm. half of it because <laughs> so like it's and, and other weeks it's like there are interpretive dancers right and- but it's it's about finding like from a production level not to synthesize a church into a production but- no but i mean like in terms of i think that it's i think it's about establishing routine and establishing right. a practice of yeah and i think uh like i the biggest question i had uh before i like began my prop reign was like how can i make it so that there's a place where people know to go to find new plays because they're really like chicago dramatists maybe but like no one does like regular programming where you know you can show up and meet other people who like new plays and like to talk about new plays so we definitely had like last year we had a bunch of regulars and i'm imagining that's definitely gonna grow this year um because like that's what i'm looking for i'm always like 
where are the new plays? I want to see plays. I want to talk. I want to meet more people that want to talk about plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah. Essentially, the series is creating is creating that. It's also trying to demystify yeah. like the hierarchy in uh in in theater mm-hmm. because we we put so much like emphasis on like prestige and like and like all this like sort of bullshit that keeps uh some people thinking they're better than other people. Um, and prop theater is very much about like. Well, in order to become an artist, you have to like make art. So we're going to try and figure out all of the different ways in which we can help young artists just have the space and time to do something. Yeah. And the chutzpah to like figure figure out and like problem solves themselves. And like we help like in the way that we help. But we it's like you teach a man to fish. Yeah. He can live forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I so um for you for uh cuz as far as measuring expectations like what ba- what's the balance for you of workshop to performance for Church of the New Play? Um uh we've had everything from a first reading mm-hmm. of a, a a brand new play which have actually been some of the best mm-hmm. to like something that uh we picked up for a workshop and is getting produced by another company in the fall. Yeah. You know, and I I I don't it's it's pretty rare that we've had anything that's been entirely uninteresting. Every single uh reading last year had something that stayed with me. Um it's also been really fun learning how to run the talkbacks. Yeah. Cuz I I try to do that myself so that it doesn't it I, I continue with the casual atmosphere. And uh, there was one time where someone else ran the talkback and it made me very uncomfortable actually. <laughs> Well, because it's, I'm trying to think of what I was going through recently, um, but that whole feel, feeling of when you kind of have the sense of something and you know how to set someone else at ease and watching someone else not able to do that right away. Yeah, it's like watching a young dramaturg like kind of not have a real good sense of like how long this conversation mm-hmm. is or when to like move people forward or when to like sort of stop trying to get the audience to say something mm-hmm. you know that like really awkward where they're like pushing a question and they're just like anybody anybody yeah <laughs> like god no i there's that's the worst kind of talk back where it, i feel like the key to a good talk back is absolutely meeting people where they're at because otherwise it's just like yeah yeah mm-hmm. also the the it's it's a very exploratory talk back it's more like a reflecting pool um, and it's not, there isn't like a huge pressure to be like, fix your play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, which, uh, is, is, I feel like for an art form, that's definitely doesn't make a lot of people money. We're, uh, it professionally in the industry at large, we're very, very, uh, needlessly cruel to those people that make that we, and that it's not very helpful. <laughs> yeah well that's we should we should not like be crushing like people's like impulses and and conforming their work into a box so that it will like check a bunch of boxes so that it will appeal to your regional Mm -hmm. theater audience that has very outdated taste well i've yeah i have always (laughs) 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 i've always been uh excited to talk to you about the concept of thinking of 
art like for a profit or nonprofit. Like I think that whole like the concept of nonprofit status is always very interesting and and you know, I think that that whole piece is is super fascinating to me more and more. Um because it is it is this this battle that always happens and you know, especially as a journalist, you see it both ways where it's like the, the, the journalism is so underfunded. The arts are so underfunded and it's just a series of people being like, I, I like not letting the, like not valuing themselves enough to state their worth and, and get that, you know? I think there's also like, there's a, uh, in theater, there's this thing called the regional theater, but I feel like a lot of these nonprofits are masquerading really as things that are for profit and are just trying to do rather than doing the regional premieres of work they're doing the second or third or fourth production of a pit play from new york city Mm -hmm. um which is not the purpose regional theater should be about the region where it is um and uh yeah that was my thought well and i (laughs) i always had a weird thought a weird feeling with um with opera specifically, for me, I always kind of felt weird whenever I saw major, giant opera companies and the majority of their budget came from million-dollar donations. Because mm-hmm. I was like, that doesn't, that's not sustainable. Like, I, you know, I mean, sure, like, you're you're making a budget out of something. Like, you're getting a budget somehow. But I think that to solely rely on grants on- is a... On Facebook, uh, I started this thread that was like, what, uh, the life kind of sucks for a playwright. How do we fix this? Mm-hmm. And Charles Shaw, who was actually an original prop company member, said something great, which is such a like, he's uh, he's wonderful and he is such a baby boomer. Like, he's such a like 90s, like Nan Golden's friends mm-hmm. type baby boomer. And he is like, we should occupy like abandoned places and make art because Mm -hmm. that's like the anti bullshit of what's going on. And if we create our own culture outside of money, then we have control of it. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a super like idealistic point of view about it, but I'm like been thinking about it and I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of like that. Like, uh, we don't need to, uh, we can kind of stop acknowledging the bigger, the, the thing that's like, look at me, we are the big culture. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, like theater in Chicago, like Chris Jones or like the, the Tribune or a lot of companies that like the Tribune likes loves. Mm-hmm. They think that like, oh, look, we are like the top dogs. We are everything. And yeah. you must see us that way. Like, it's kind of amazing what happens when you don't give them that power. Absolutely. And I, <laughs> I completely agree. And I, there are in so many ways, I feel there are so many people that are performing that are like, oh, I need that Tribune review, you know, yeah. they're like, I need that. And it's like, why? Why? The, the Tribune, like, aggressively ignores so many folks that are doing amazing work in Chicago. Like, there was that whole article like, that we published defining, about Free Street. Defining years. work. Like, right. truly, like, what makes Chicago great? Mm hmm. Yeah, like yeah. like they the Tribune ignores Free Street, right? Uh, which is nuts because the oldest mm-hmm. storefront in Chicago. <sighs> Not to like to go off on a fuck the Tribune t- tangent, but low key. I mean, it's like any paper. There are obviously individuals that are doing important work and support those individuals when you can. Totally. But the, but as an institution, the editorial board of the Chicago Tribune is they're irresponsible and not clued in at all to what it means to live in Chicago. And you know, like it's it's different. I mean, I don't know if you I don't you know to your point, I don't even know if it's different. Like cuz I was going to say it's different than the New York Times where they're like to a degree the New York Times is a national paper. Like it's like 
what but who who in kansas is reading the chicago making sure to read the chicago tribune i mean like maybe a couple people but what who are you catering to i don't understand that sometimes with city papers like with the chicago tribune specifically who are you catering to if you're mostly covering national news and when you are covering local news you're you're skewing conservative yeah i mean i feel like in this moment i guess this is you're catching me on a very like hopeful day but uh uh, I don't really care about what they're doing. What am I doing to, to build a new culture? I have no Ask idea how I just got off on I, this tangent. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a great because now I get to be like, I, mean, I could be like, hurrah, like thinking yeah. about like, because all of us that that are in Chicago, uh, like underground cultural scene, we have a huge sway um, and we have a reach and we have each other. And like, there's no reason why we can't just be like, we're taking over. Um, sorry. Mm-hmm. Chicago yeah. is our Chicago now. Yeah. And yeah. What, what, uh, what quantity of person, of people that reached out to you for Church of the New Play became, became a realization that there are so many people that are making dope work? Wait, say that again. What, how many people did it take for the way that you viewed the amount of people making dope work in Chicago to change. Does that make sense? Like, like, was there a number, like, like, was there, was there a turning point in the volume of submissions? Like after, like, was it after like 25 or 50? How or- many submissions were you expecting to get? And then, and well, then how does that compare to, I would say, uh, like even just going to the readings last year, I was like every, uh, most of these, no, I'd say like pretty much all of them were like really interesting mm-hmm. plays. You know, and there and there were some people there like I mean, it depended on the uh, the it was interesting meeting the different theater networks because they because I met so many different yeah. groups of people who did not know each other or like had weird like connections. Like um, I would say that just doing it like just every single time proves how talented and uh, under recognized mm-hmm. everyone is. And it well, and it's wild to me because I think that so many times I've heard people say, "Oh, Chicago's such a small town, such a small town." Like no. you can, it's not. <laughs> there are tons of people that do not know each other, and that I don't know at what point that dawned on me, but it did. And and that that is like this kind. Of, I, so I guess we can get to an actual question. I have no idea why. Actually, Sometimes I want to jump off that. Like, yeah. if you are, if you do think Chicago is a small town. It might be because you're only seeing the same people and you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, I agree. And so I, I want to, um, do you think that the way that you've kind of tackled church of the new play of, of getting into this quantity space of, you know, we're going to do this week by week. Um, do you think that's been, uh, pivotal in the way that, 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 uh, realization has come to you? Yeah. I think just doing it, uh, I like, didn't know, I didn't know like the stretches of landscape and humans and all of that, that I was going to meet, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it's been interesting also being here for six, seven years, seeing some other people that I've encountered along the way and seeing their trajectories and their paths. Um, yeah. But Chicago is absolutely not a tiny place. Um, and there's, uh, I also think like, I remember a couple of years ago before I was an artistic director, I'd get on my big soapbox about artistic directors, not scouting local work by people they don't know. Mm-hmm. So I have been like, if I'm like bored at work or something, I will like go to my Facebook events and try and find stuff, but it is tricky. Yeah. Like, um, 
but uh but but now it's like it's kind of cool that i'm in that position of power because now i can do the thing that i hated that other people didn't do <laughs> yeah yeah i i definitely relate to that because that, that's it's the same thing like my biggest gripe with the tribune is like you have tons of people and the best way that you potentially know how to find new stories is to just piggyback on the local newspapers and reach out to us and send a weird message like hey can one of our interns follow you to an event that didn't happen or anything but you know i like i just think it's one of these things where it's like don't it did happen (laughs) (laughs) one of our a, a trib intern reached out to one of our writers being like hey i heard that you're going to this thing no they didn't even ask they didn't even ask if they could tr- shadow yeah. they asked can you send me any notes that you took so that we can write an article about it oh yeah which like what <laughs> yeah so I, ridiculous do you think that do you think that that energy of um i'm going to be the change that i want to see in art making like do you think that is a generational thing or do you think that's an individual thing i think it's a thing where our generation has had that power and we've been waiting for the baby boomers to train us and they're not going to train us and they're just going to like hand everything to us and not have informed us because they don't really even have a system of how to do things. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's been exciting seeing a bunch of my peers because I've just always been like a poster child for that mm-hmm. ever since I moved here. But I think everyone's like slowly awakening to their own power and it's really exciting. Is there anything <laughs> um, that... Uh... And this is because this is, I mean, how many times have, times have we had you on the podcast, Olivia? Like, is this like the sixth time? I don't know. It's been a while, though. It has been a while. But you also were probably within the first 40, which we're coming up on 300 really fast. Did oh, you know that? that's awesome. Yeah. I, well, I don't actually have a, a solid count. We might be at Speaking 300. of industrial millennials, these two. <laughs> but I want to, the I want to, do you think there are things that like, because I know that you've have quite quite the past you know every time i'm always like oh wow you were a composer i had no idea oh wow you went to interlock and i had no idea oh wow (laughs) you you did it you ran a diy house show is there anything else that like uh that do you have any other kind of like olivia first couple of years in chicago tidbits to drop on anybody listening that's an olivia lily fan oh (laughs) um what's a good one not to put you on the spot (laughs) i i my first show in the at the I don't know if I've told you this story though like uh well when I first moved here I had spent the year like kind of on an odyssey after my first year after after graduating mm-hmm. on undergrad and I had written this like epic screenplay that took place in four four different cities and I had like just finished it when I moved to Chicago and I put out a call for a reading um and this required like 20 25 actors and a ton of people like submitted because I basically the the way I figured out how to post was I asked an actor friend where people posted and he was like there and I was like okay so I did and then like my roommates were like yeah you can rehearse in the house it's mm-hmm. fine and I was like okay um and they and so I put out this call for this reading and like so many people showed up for this story like they just read the synopsis and they were like yes please so we cast it and then I was like why don't well, this is stupid why are we doing a staged reading let's just fucking do it and they all were like yes <laughs> like no one was like no what the fuck you just i thought we were doing a staged reading they were all like jazz they were like fuck yeah let's do yeah. it so i remember like i rehearsed it at my house 
like four, like three days a week, three to four days a week, and every single day was a different one of the stories. Yeah. And then I didn't know where I was going to perform it. And then one of my friends took me to a DIY house, and I was like, this is cool. And I asked them, and they were like, yeah, you can do it here. And they let me do it in the middle of Humboldt Park. Yeah. Like three months later for free. What? <laughs> what that was the run. That was my first show in Chicago, and that was the first time I ever directed over three actors in a play. Mm-hmm. I attracted twenty-one actors in a play. Do you think? That was the beginning. What <laughs> do you? What? Man. I mean, that, so yeah. the fact that that exists, and then smash cut to Church of the New Play. <laughs> I mean, there's there's got to be a there there is a strong parallel there of just kind of this attitude of fuck it, we have the people, we have the passion, why don't we just do it every damn week? But also like space. I think is interesting. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think also I was 23 when I did that. And like no one, I just come from a university. Like no one just like handed you an opportunity. No. There. Like you had to like, they, they like, they are, you never had the opportunity at school. Like I didn't cause I was in a conservatory to do like, just do my projects. So like the fact that I was 23 and all these other people were like in their twenties and we were in Chicago and we were like, we want to be in a play. Let's fucking be in a play. Let's do it. Yeah. Um. We, we took the power ourselves. We weren't waiting for anyone to give us permission because we, I, as a 23-year-old director, didn't think I was going to get hired to direct. Well, okay. And I didn't so, want to assist anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leo rising. Um, oh I know. Well, because the thing that's interesting to that to me is, so how has that informed the way that, because in so many ways, so many people look at the prop theater as kind of a, an established space, like a tr- like a true one. And um, <laughs> like how how has those experiences of taking opportunity and building your own things, like how has that turned around to the position you find yourself in now, where you're giving opportunities? Um, well, it's like it's interesting because I like think about like twenty three year old Olivia and. I often like I definitely would be very if I was like a 23 year old right now and I was looking at another person who was me but in this position I would probably be like the most skeptical asshole Mm -hmm. to myself so that's kind of a good like like person to have on the other side Um, but it's been really interesting giving people opportunity and then seeing what they do with it Mm -hmm. Um, that's been extremely informative because it kind of I learn way more about myself from that actually because some of the things that absolutely occur to me to do are n- are are not the things that occur to other people, and mm-hmm. may and maybe they have a different solution, or maybe they do things like. And it's interesting to see, uh, especially like the ways in which we were taught in school, like different uh, hierarchies of ways of or ways of working that people try and translate into Chicago theater that mm-hmm. either don't work or like have there's certain things you should take certain things you should leave because I think it took me like three or four shows to re- before I realized that I didn't have to schedule my rehearsals the exact same way that I, they were scheduled mm-hmm. at Carnegie Mellon mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I could build something that would suit because because at CMU like you had classes during the day and then you rehearsed at night and like you didn't have a job mm-hmm. whereas people in Chicago have jo- we all have like some kind of job so how do you schedule that that in a way that works with that or also just think like stylistically like we like people that have had to learn a craft like a traditionalist craft mm, like yeah. i always think of the way that chicago glom- oh my god my whole thing just came apart like people glommed on to the concept of oh oh well 
David Mamets from Chicago. Like we just have to make that we have to make him a tradition when it's like that was like not the fucking point, you idiot. One actually, I have a great story about that. Um, yeah. One of my board members at Prop, he uh, apparently built David Mamets Theater. Really? Like, and and he told me, you know, like, and so it's David Mamet had a play a theater called Saint Nicholas, and Saint Nicholas was not just him; it was a bunch of people from Goddard. Oh um, wow. And apparently, there's not only one successful person in that troupe. The guy who was who is currently the head of Disney Animation was also in that theater company. Really? Yeah. So, and they were called the Saint Nicholas. Like, I think it was just Saint Nicholas. But Keith Fort like built their stage, and apparently it was at George and Halstead, and it's that golf shop now. <laughs> god how the mighty have fallen but yeah real, there's real state wise it's so interesting also there's a guy who uh, who um, uh, designs regularly at prop who designed the original grease really yeah this this uh i can't remember what his name is right now but he he is the he is the kind of designer who doesn't have an email like you have to call him and he and he like designs like he is always making really interesting shit at the prop what a stressful person because i can't tell you how many i'm sure that he's i'm sure that he's brilliant um but i uh i can't tell you how many times i've been looking at a thing and then or like looking at a person that i potentially want to collaborate and then can't find their email and then decide that probably i don't want to collaborate with that person if they don't have an email (laughs) but that's just that's just because that's I'm I'm very much like crossing things off of a list type of person. It's also interesting thinking about like Stefan and Scott Behill who started the prop. Their first space, they all like communally lived in it with a bunch of other people and all those people made a show. You know, there's actually so we in were in Lakeview, in Lakeview. <laughs> well, so interesting parallel, we were just at uh Lincoln Loft for the Newness Salon. Yeah. And there's a guy whose bedroom is just like right is like attached to I think there are a few people that live in that space. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting here. Do you want to pause for a sec? I think it's broken. Well, just just pause. Okay, cool. My mic stand is broken. Sorry. I also just we just learned that Greece was 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 in Chicago, or at least I didn't know that. I'm Greece, sure you knew. Greece was based in Chicago, and it was written by Chicago theater people, and it was much smuttier. Yeah, I was gonna say like watching the movie and then like actually looking at the play or like looking at the libretto. It's pretty, pretty raunchy, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious for you. I I enjoy. I, I like asking this this type of question for like recurring events, but do you do you see Church of the New Play being different or the same in five years? Do you know what I mean? Like, I do think you- if Church of the New Play um, is successful, it will actually stay the same. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because like. I, I really I like the idea of first of all keeping it simple and if it's serving its purpose like because I, I think that that's the goal that many people have is that you know they produce this thing and then they and then they hope it blows up mm-hmm. yeah I think uh, I've done so many things <laughs> that I have I'm very like I feel like I'm very deliberate about what I want things to become now mm-hmm in a way where I'm like, I have a much better like, like understanding of like, okay, this is what this is supposed to be, and then this is this other thing, and that's supposed to be this other thing. It's uh, 
Yeah. I'm, it, I think it comes from being a producer mm-hmm. and not like a comedian who's like, pr- like selling themselves or like a individual artist who's uh, doing this or that. Like Solanathon, I would say, is a ex- good example of something that relatively stayed the same mm-hmm. and was successful in that because it is a gateway. Mm-hmm. Like I would say that uh, one of the problems I have with new play development in America is that um, in order to get past the um, first round, you have to your your play has to read well silently. And that's not a play. That's like a literary work. A play is right. uh, something to be put on stage. So Pl- Church of the New Play is a way of um, making that uh, first read public and out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also other people besides me reading it can experience it. Can experience it. Mm-hmm. Another theater company can be at a church and new play and be like, "I love this play." Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> who, what kind of people come to church of the new play? Is it artistic directors? Is it just folks who appreciate it? Like, what's the what's the breakdown of folks that you that you find at church of the new play? I would say it's like uh, it's a bunch. Of, there's definitely like a, a high percentage of like actors and theater artists and the friends of the writer, mm-hmm. but then there's also a bunch of like older people that like just like plays that come and like i remember at barb lahoda's reading there was a guy who like wanted he like was insistent that he get her like phone number and then he called her later and he was like this is my life story will you do you write a play oh my gosh (laughs) so like crazy yeah it's like it's a it's a different it's a huge assortment it really depends on the writer and like who they're like because they they like talk to their people, and then I would say the the ones who keep coming back and back and back are writers, which I I, I really think that's a good move. <laughs> that's a supportive environment too, yeah. where yeah, um, I think I think if I were like just a playwright in Chicago, I would just come to Church of the New Play constantly. Yeah, well, because like yeah, it, it, to your point earlier, like who where else can you? consistently hear new works and consistently network with people because it's that's an amazing networking opportunity mm-hmm. we're like not only is it like oh well you know last week i saw your show being performed and this week you're sitting next to me like where else does that happen because you know most theater companies have some sort of new play initiative and you know young playwrights will go like for example um the milwaukee rep they every year they put on some kind of new play and so as you know if you're a young playwright and you go see that new play at the rep what are the odds that you're going to be able to the following week sit down next to them on a sunday morning and have the opportunity to be like hey that was really awesome like it's it's a unique kind of humbling exercise yeah i think people in theater like need to stop like (laughs) being uh like putting barriers between themselves and others like like they don't need to like act all high and mighty or like like we can like your ego doesn't go away if like you are humble and you're just like another human being right (laughs) well because at the at the at the end of the day we're all just telemarketers with a dream right (laughs) uh well also the other thing that i was going to say is that um though sometimes people like bring mimosas and stuff uh, Church New Play is a place where you can network with people and you can be sober. 
that's hugely important. Because I a think, person that yeah. quit drinking, that's hard. To also, find. I have recently quit drinking, and I've I been saw that. super like hyper aware of like the new this new perspective, and it's really interesting because now I'm like, wow, there are so many especially new play and like new and like theater development things that are very much centered around consuming alcohol. Mm -hmm. But I have now found that I've had like a lot of better conversations now that I'm sober because I'm not always like having a drink and then sort of like feeling Mm -hmm. my way through things. I'm like, I'm a little, I I can be a little bit more like logical. Um, Deliberate. Yeah. So like, how are we really supposed to network if we're just like, well, and there are Doing some that, yeah. there are so many venues that have like drink minimums, and so like how the hell are you supposed to network at a place where you were by necessity you're two drinks in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I am you know I definitely am not a person who doesn't drink and then is like fuck everybody who drinks. That's no, not me no, at all. I, but, yeah. But I also think that there is really something to be said about uh, y- you know, just like that that mental space or or how much the culture has prioritized you know like i i quit drinking because i had a drinking problem and that's my own story but and i don't think everybody but i also don't think that there are people that quit drinking or or choose to find networking and and social experiences where uh they want to be sober for it or like the the option for sobriety or, or you know, not alcohol is one that is weirdly hard to find. And for whatever reason, it seems like the only people that realize that are people that are forced into not drinking. Also, the other fun thing about Church in the New Play is you can go to brunch with people afterwards if you want to. Hell yeah. But you don't, you're not obligated to. It's very chill. Mm-hmm. But, and there's not really a regular brunch spot because don't go to Chief O'Neill's unless you want to spend $22 on the crazy buffet. But the mm-hmm. crazy buffet does have like a uh, chocolate volcano. Hell yeah. So Ooh. if you wanted to do that, you could. But like, it's, it's, I love the like sort of little ritual of watching people go like, oh, are you going to brunch? Are you going to brunch? And then them venturing out into the world after mm-hmm. the reading. I don't think I've ever been. Oh, you know what? I was just going to say something that is untrue, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think I'm going to change it. Um, I, <laughs> I, I'm always intrigued by like places that I typically find myself at night and p- trying to picture them during the day. Like yeah. the like, for example, the prop. I usually find, you know, weirdly, the prop falls into this category. I always find myself at the prop either at like seven p.m. or like one a.m. or something like that. I think I've been to one matinee at the prop, and it's like a completely different experience. It's really cozy. I like yeah. the I like the afternoon vibe. The morning vibe is interesting too. Uh, we really need the coffee. We go. There were some readings last year where we had to make like three pots of coffee. Um, it was amazing. I was like, "Oh shit, another one." <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think it's I think with something like this, it seems to me that the um, the mood of making sure that it's like cathartic, but also relaxing. And what am I saying? Like the idea of because like the idea of people that go to church all the time is that there's a degree to which you can make it especially on the production end yeah um it's important to make it not feel like i don't know a deadline or uh, a chore do you know what i mean yeah and is is there a way in which you've accomplished that well to make it such that when you go it's uh i i don't know like it's not exhausting 
Honestly, it's very, very different every time. And it will help me with my energy living a block away from the prop because it's Mm -hmm. just like sometimes hard to get up on the set Sunday morning. The other thing I wanted to actually back to Maureen's question of like, what do you see for prop or for um, not prop in five years for (laughs) church, a new play in five years, two things that I really want to happen are I want to be able to get to a point where we can pay every single actor in the thing, $25 for a meal and for transit. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was, I can't remember. That's the more important thing. Oh, the second thing is, um, we do really want to get to the point where when we can pay the actors that partner with, uh, different databases of like actors, like, like I know, uh, um, there's a couple that are very focused on like actors of color and Mm -hmm. like, so that all of our playwrights have this amazing pool to choose from if they don't just automatically know someone who's right for something. Um, partnering with different groups so that we can get as many people sort of intersecting and colliding as possible. Yeah, because actually that's something that I hadn't considered is like what a cool opportunity it is for the actors. Is it usually like different actors every time? Oh, yeah, totally. And you'll have like everyone from like someone who moved here last week to some Chicago legends. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Who's been who's been like the... I I want to say coolest, but like that's such a cliche. Yeah, but like who's been the person, the actor that you've seen on stage at Church of the New Play that has caused you to go the most? Like in I terms- would say Molly Brennan. Oh, Molly Brennan's really cool. She's cool. <laughs> I uh, Molly Brennan. I was like, are you you're here for this? Yay! That's awesome. I'm really <laughs> glad. Thank you for coming. I saw Molly Brennan. In a Christmas Carol at the Goodman. Oh, I want to see that one year. I got to see it. It was good. We can tell that story if you want. Nah. (laughs) I choose not to. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if there was like a weekly series in Chicago that always paid actors? That would be amazing. I would love to be able to do that. Grant organizations make it possible, please. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. It's a though. dream, and it's a it's a dream that's achievable, but it's it's gonna take a little time. Honestly, that is that has become my new like small arts organization mantra, is that it's possible, but it's gonna be difficult, and it will take some time. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna sort of try things, and you're gonna fail, and then you're gonna fail again, and then you're gonna keep going, and you're gonna and some some accident will happen, and you'll it'll it'll work out i want to ask so for you i i a thing that i've been ruminating on a bit more recently is i think when i was younger i just assumed that and i've, I've said this question in multiple different ways but this is the first time that i'm like owning up to my own to my own i don't know yeah but i think there's a degree to which we do this thing where oh you know uh the digital age like things are different now like i can make a thing and it's gonna blow up overnight like i can go viral or whatever um and there's a degree to which we think like oh it's not going to be as hard like how like i mean and and i'm talking about when i was like you know 17 or something like that and i there i get the reason too is i get this question sometimes with podcasting where it's like okay well you know you make this podcast and then how do you get famous it's like that's not how it works like yeah. it's hard work also no one realizes that comedians some um, comedians go to mics eight days a week yep yeah and that's on top of whatever the hell they're doing and then they mm-hmm. do that for years and then they're good 
Yeah. As a, as a producer, artistic director type, what is that? What does that look like for you? Like the, the, the piece to which people may not know how hard the work is. Wait, can you rephrase that one more time? Yeah. I almost got you. I think how in, in what way do you think people wouldn't know how hard your work is? Um, in uh, the, like the like the the image versus what the day to day is. Yeah, I text faster than most people. I think, cause, or at least a lot of old people give me a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. They're like, "How are you doing?" I I answer a lot of emails and and texts and like juggle a lot of things in my brain. But then I also like keep everything extremely organized into like categories. And also I run pop magic and prop, but that's really helpful weirdly because it makes what they do clearer to me mm. because they're different. They're not the same. It's not like, it's not the Olivia machine. It's like yeah. pop magic is this thing and it's here for this purpose and I have to serve that. And then this is prop and it's here for this person purpose and they hired me to be myself. So I'm going to be myself, mm-hmm. but it, um, I mean, on on Too Unfortunate to Travel, which is my first, uh, we're about to open a big show at the prop. And it's my first time producing for someone else. And that's been a really interesting learning experience. Also, the thing that I realized on that show is I hate email and I'd much rather talk to people in person about mm. everything. That's such a weird thing to realize, but I feel the same way. Like, I've been prioritized actually sitting down for coffee with people. Yeah. And it's just like... I started doing that hardcore in 2017 and that was interesting. Because, uh, like, trying to figure out, like, the way I could take control of my schedule and what I should be, how I should be spending my time. And I think mm-hmm. as I've been doing that grind for so long, I get, I get better and better at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so counterpoint. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess the art. Well, one more, one more thing. So yeah. that the thing that's hard, hardest about my life is that uh, I am very used to organizing every single mi- minute of it. Mm. And now that I have this like weird new day job thing for the first time, I have this like 40 hour a week full-time job thing. Um, this is the first time that where I haven't really had to schedule every single moment of my waking life. But but at the same time, sometimes at my I'm, I'm at my job and I schedule all of the moments where I don't have to be at my job. Yeah. So, uh it's that's calmed down a little bit but it's still that's definitely the hardest part is that i have uh i go and try and make every single waking second second like sort of productive in some way um and i love my work so it just feels like fun anyway that is that is so intensely relatable to me like if you saw my google calendar you'd be like why are you so like down to the minute with this damn calendar it would look like my google calendar yeah i'm sure cuz like because i you know I talk a big game about like, oh my God, I'm on day 10 straight of work. I'm so exhausted. But come day 11 and it's my day off, I'm like, I'm so bored. So, I get so yeah, restless. Get so annoyed. I get so, I'm just like, oh God, I got to be doing. Like, I, I both can't handle how busy my life is and also cannot abide not doing something. And it's such a, how do you balance that? Like, how do you take time for yourself? Um, I've actually been really getting into uh, recently. I've been taking a bar class and joined this like healing arts collective. Nice. And uh, I think in like 2014, thir- 13 and 14, when I ran my DIY venue, I was like super into like taking care of my body and like going to this bar class. 
And so I'm trying to get back in touch with that physical side of myself so that I can bring that to my directing, but it's still fun and I like it. I also bought myself a uh, uh, this subscription for my birthday to something called Fire and Nice, which is like, it's going to send me a bunch of bath stuff and candles every month. Hell this yeah. is so nice. And my new apartment has a bathtub. So I'm trying to like uh, get really epically into like relaxation. I love taking baths. I highly recommend you head to the Korean grocery store and pick up some face masks. Oh, I have um I have some of those, yeah. They're fucking great. I um I got this pack of like twenty four face face no, like thirty face masks for ten dollars there. Mm-hmm. And they're all they're some of them are like great. Other of them are like Bee venom. Bee venom's great. Do, really? Yeah. No, I used bee, ve- bee, bee venom. venom. There's like vegetable <laughs> placenta in there though, which Ew. is kind of a lot. I also used the vegetable. I used the vegetable placenta one just because I was like, I can't make fun of vegetable placenta if I'm not gonna actually put it on my damn face, and I did it, and it was fine. You wait. Why can't you? <laughs> because I felt I felt like I was doing it a disservice. And I'm and I'm here to say, having come out the other side of using the vegetable placenta, no pun intended. I feel like there was a pun in there. Anyway, I <laughs> I say that if you're handed a vegetable placenta face mask, that you should use it. Nice, <laughs> nice. Well, we have a few minutes left before we have a few minutes left. I want to kind of ask you like a, a last question. Okay. Um. For you, we asked this a bit, and I'm sure we've actually asked a cousin to this question to you before. Um, <laughs> but the idea of what Chicago means to the art we make is very interesting to us. And I, I'm curious. So all of this being said, what do you think the city of Chicago means to Church of the New Play? Like, in what ways do you think Church of the New Play could not exist in another city? Well. Or if it did, it would. how would it be different? I think if this were in New York, people would be extremely confused They'd be like, wait, anyone can do it. But then also I would be up to my eyeballs and submissions and then it would become weird and elitist, even though it's every week. Mm -hmm. Um, So Chicago, I feel like has the perfect amount of people. I think also like we are told in different institutions that Chicago is a playwright city, which I think it is, except more companies should definitely be reading more new plays Mm -hmm. and not producing only the same new playwrights all the time. Um, But but, uh, like I think there's a there's a wealth of really talented playwrights that need some uh, love and attention. And because of that, Church's new play is a good like it's a good match for that. Um, I think also people don't have to work like uh, like 60 hours in order to like pay rent. So a Sunday morning, even if you Sunday morning is good for like most people, maybe not great for people that work brunch shifts right um which is sad i wish it could i but but it's it's a it's a good like 75 percent of people are free available maybe unless they have church jobs or they're going to church or okay maybe yeah i don't know it's not perfect but it's a good slot well but when but when is perfect you know yeah (laughs) i think that sunday mornings are a good bet for the artistic crowd Ooh, i want to say something though um i was at an opening uh for on clover road at american blues and i was talking to helena case um who's uh, uh 
former hypocrite artistic director and like a uh, director on the city. And I actually ran. Okay, there's this two part story. So I ran into her um, in like 2010, 2011. She was working the box office for Pirates of the Penzance. And I was like a baby maker, like thinking about moving here. And I asked her, like, I was like, I, I she was just working box office. And I was like, I'm thinking about moving here. Like, what advice do you have for me? And she was like really bitter and jaded at the time. And she was like, you will have to do everything yourself or something like that. Um, and then I ran into her at this opening. She directed this play and it's like 10 years later. So she was like, I think around 30 the first time I saw her. And now she's like around 40. And I told her that story and she was like, and I, and I was like, well, what would, what advice would you have for me now? And now like, and I, t- I kind of c- caught her up on my story and she was like, Chicago is a working class artist city and as soon as i accepted that it was fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah like we are working class artists that's really that's the story that's my story yeah yeah well and i think that that's that's elena's words very good well and i i think that that's something that a lot of producers and a lot of you know owners of companies and deciders of ticket prices often forget is that we're all working class it's like i said we're all we're all telemarketers with yeah a dream. well i'd say that like the this this thing with there's been a huge shift of like uh pay what you can and right. for the free theater movement yeah um i i fight against it a lot but like i think about it a lot too and like sort of looking at the looking at it like these are uh theaters answers to netflix like subscribe yeah. and get the theater yeah. um yeah. like that's something to think about for the working class the answer maybe to the working class city yeah i've been i've been learning i Seems do scary though i feel like this is a i should sh- do a quick uh daniel what is what platform is daniel obsessed with recently check in <laughs> for a, a minute it was just understanding youtube and how people like made art on youtube and and brought in revenue and i just you know and now you've figured it out you've cracked it yeah yeah <laughs> you're a master anyway, of youtube are you are you familiar with twitch no what's that Twitch is a streaming it's mostly for gaming uh-huh. which is interesting um but it also like there are also just people that stream on it and other places but what they've done i think well is it's um figured out how to incentivize people to become that five dollar month subscriber thing? If you have a follow a solid following on your stream, um, first off, you get like special emotes, like they it's all integrated in the app and everything like that. So yeah. when like in chat, you can use the special emotes that they'll make for their stream at five dollars a month, and then also people can gift subscriptions um, and can do like five or ten at a time, and just can do it randomly. So you can gift like 10 or 15 subscriptions at once and then it just goes to 15 random people that are watching the stream. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so that that platform of of figuring out how to not just have a five dollar because because you can watch the stream for free, but figuring out more things that make a free something with a five dollar subscription that you can opt into opt into if you want to um, worth it is, is very interesting to me. And I think that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that obviously there are flaws, like the fact that it's owned by Amazon, <laughs> but I also think it's an interesting thing that if, you know, if there are people with thoughts on, on that conceptually, I'd love to hear it. Cause, because like to ex- ex- like so much of what we've talked about here and 
what you're saying, like figuring out how to make stuff that's both accessible and sustainable is really hard. It is. And it's like, I mean, it's a, it's the old methods of entertainment in America and how you paid for it and how you got yep. it have, are totally upended by the internet and yep. by, uh, yeah, by the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we are in the, uh, the place of, of evolution where we have to figure out what's next and everyone's going to be on the ground floor of something. Like we can't, we're not going to walk in any comfortable systems ever. I think that's the older I get, the more I'm like, no, actually I'm not, I don't know what I'm waiting for. Like I'm building something right now just cause it doesn't, just cause it feels like what, what is this? Yeah. Doesn't mean that it's not something that will right. make sense later. Yep. You know, and it's, absolutely. it's been interesting cause we're in grant writing season. So like I've been writing a lot of grants um, and getting a lot of feedback on grants too. Um, from like random people, but also from the people that are reading my grants and evaluating them. And that's been super interesting. I'd say the number one thing I am thinking about and uh, clarifying is like audience. What is my audience? How do I describe my audience? Mm-hmm. How do I describe an audience for a specific show? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do we then create a strategy that gets that audience over all other audiences in to see that show? Like that's a... And then how do you do that through the community and through yeah. what's around you here? And it's a big question. Yeah. Cool. Well, we have a few minutes left. Thank you so much for being here, Olivia. Yeah, this was fun. This was really what good. What a good Friday night. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be. Oh, wait a minute. Up. Uh, the one minute plug. Yeah. Uh, so I forgot how it goes. The last thing that we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything that you have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like a weekly recurring show that you produce. Um, But otherwise, um, it can be any media you're consuming, self-care or otherwise, whether that's books, TV shows, or um, anyone out there who you think is doing dope work. Oh, damn. Okay. Well, Church of the New Play is going to be happening at Prop Theater 3502 North Elston Avenue in avondale um every single sunday until probably the end of june we're halfway through june um other things uh i'm uh curating a uh live talk uh show with pivot arts on march 21st thursday march 21st hosted by nancy garcia loza um and then also uh I'm really into inner sense healing arts right now. Uh, it's run by another a girl who's about to turn 30 uh, named Kelsey. Um, and it's employing a lot of different like Reiki and like massage therapists and yoga practitioners and tarot experts and uh, making this great, wonderful place um, for people to come and, and uh, experience stuff for very, very cheap. Um, and there's always free tea. And it's very clean and it smells good. That's a good place to go. And they have a community choir. They do? Really? They do. That sounds nice. Yeah. So everyone should check that out. Cool. Like at least, yeah. Cool. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I'm Bedan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there as well as all of our podcast episodes. Otherwise, you can keep up with us on social media. On Facebook, we have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board, where we talk about local arts, local politics, and astrology memes. Otherwise, you can find us under Instagram 
uh, in Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter under Scopy Mag, and you can find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now, under Scopy Radio and most podcast places, including Google Play, iTunes Podcasts, and Radio Public. And I'm here, as always, to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook bears our content. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The second thing you can do is become a member for as little as $2 a month. You can help us keep our lights on and pay our artists. Also, we have merch available. Head to scopymag.com store to buy your new favorite shirt. And that's a promise. Also, if you are a business or an entity or just have something fun to say and want to advertise with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something yep